we've been ministering on the things that God wants to minister into us during our wilderness times, and He wants to work them for our good. And so today I want to talk to you about the wilderness of loneliness. The wilderness of loneliness. Some of you are lonely today, and you're wondering why you're alone and why you're lonely. And I want to, I want to speak to that. Now, Mark 1, verse 12, immediately the Holy Spirit urged Jesus into the wilderness. And there, for 40 days, he was alone. Now, I want you to catch that. For 40 days, Jesus was alone in the wilderness, except for desert animals. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will speak to us. I pray that you will minister to people who are lonely, that you will impart grace and hope into their hearts, that they would walk out of here today with an understanding of what you are doing in the midst of their loneliness to help them and bless them and make them what they really want to be. And will you breathe the prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before tomorrow. I already did. <laughs> okay. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus went through a wilderness. Now, having gone through a wilderness, he was our role model. He's our example. And what Jesus experienced, we will also experience. Doesn't it say that in all points he was tempted like we are, yet he did not sin? So Jesus experienced a wilderness, but he didn't sin in that wilderness. He was mightily tested in the wilderness like children of Israel were, but the children of Israel failed where our Savior did not. Aren't you glad Jesus did not fail? Amen? Amen? He didn't fail. Now, we, we learn from him. We learn that in the wilderness, you can win, and you can come out of the wilderness stronger than when you went in. I've, I've always taken note that it says the Spirit urged him into the wilderness after he had been water baptized. So he went driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, but he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So something happened to Jesus in that wilderness experience that increased the anointing on his life, enhanced the power on his life, and he came out of the wilderness and began his ministry. So there's something about that wilderness experience that we need to understand. Now, loneliness is indeed a wilderness place. We live in a, wil- a lonely world. And, and when, I, when I got to looking at just the very word uh, wilderness, in the Greek, in the New Testament, it comes from a Greek word called eremos, and eremos can be translated a lonely place, a lonely place. So wilderness actually means a, an isolated, lonely place. And that's what Jesus was sent to, and that's what Israel walked through for 40 years and that's where the, the kind of place that God led his people to several times in the Old Testament to speak to them, to chisel some things into their character, and prepare them for the days to come. Jesus felt loneliness in that wilderness. He was alone except for desert animals. That's the way some of you feel. You're at home alone except for some dogs, some cats, 
and, and you're alone otherwise. Your, your dog's your best friend. And I can understand that. I've told Kathy, I will always have a dog. Dogs are anointed. Have you ever noticed they are what we ought to be? If you wrong them, they forgive you and, 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 and lick you anyway. Have you ever noticed that they're, they're so gracious and, and kind? Anyway, I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to preach about dogs. I'm here to preach about Jesus. But they are the Christ, like the Christianity we ought to be practicing sometimes. But now, there's a paradox at work here when you talk about loneliness. Because we live on a lonely planet. There are many people who are lonely, but you've got to ask yourself, how could that be? Because our world, for the first time in history, is more connected than it's ever been. We have social media. And with social media, the unbelievable ability to contact anyone, anytime, at any place on the entire planet, we can immediately connect and communicate, yet we're lonely. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got email, instant messaging, Skype, blogs, websites, Pinterest, you name it. We should not be lonely. And yet studies have shown that people are feeling lonelier than ever. The instances of people claiming loneliness and alienation to counselors and psychologists is greater than ever. Many of our young people all across the nation, we're in an, a suicide epidemic with teenagers. And why does a teenager commit suicide? I guarantee you there is one driving reason. They feel lonely. They feel that nobody understands. There's nobody to talk to. Nobody can step into their world and really uh, um, um, comprehend their feelings, empathize with their thoughts, and they feel alone. And so do many people. I read a story a while back that really got me. It was a story that, that a reporter discovered that there were people coming out of this one particular apartment complex and going into a mall, and this reporter, somehow the, the employees had ended up talking to some of these people, and they said, why are you here? Because you never buy anything. They said, we just come to be around people. We're so lonely. We just come to get out of our loneliness. So they liked it when employees came up and said, can I help you? And all they wanted was interaction with people, even if it was from an employee saying, what do you want to buy? Loneliness. Loneliness is the feeling that you have that nobody's around. Nobody can understand you. You're very much on your own. And have you ever noticed that you can be around a hundred people and still be lonely, but you can be alone and not feel lonely? See, aloneness and loneliness are two different things. Loneliness is a state of mind where the, the fact that you are alone is really running a number on you, but you can be alone and not be lonely. Yeah, you can be in a school of 5,000 kids or a workplace with, with hundreds of employees and still feel lonely. Loneliness is a wilderness. It's something you've got to navigate through. It's something you've got to work your way through. Or else the loneliness will destroy you. The story is told of a child saying his evening prayers with his father. The child's mother had died. And the child was expressing how he missed his mother. And the dad said, well, I'm going to try to build his faith and try to talk some faith into him. And so he said, hey, hey, son, but at least God is with us. But the little boy replied, I know, but I want somebody with skin on them. 
And isn't that true? We can know that God is there, but we just want somebody with skin on them. Somebody who can say, I understand. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I get you. I understand you. I empathize with you, and I accept you just the way you are. Now, I want you to remember that Israel went through a long and a lonely wilderness that was very, very isolated, and they went through it way longer than they needed to. Their disobedience put them there for 40 years when they could have easily crossed from the Red Sea to the Promised Land in two and a half weeks. But what God was trying to teach them, they didn't get. Now, I want to remind you what we've gone over uh, with every one of these messages on the wilderness, and here it is. Paul wrote in the New Testament to you and to me, he said, such things were written in the Bible long ago to teach us that we would learn from them. He says that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You know, I'm in my Bible every day. I want you to, if you've got your Bible, I want you to grab it and just hold it up. Can you hold up your Bible if you've got it with you? And if you're a member of our church, please start bringing your Bible. If you come to church without a Bible, you came half-dressed. Smile at me. That's just a joke. Some of you are looking real serious at me for saying that. Now, but if you're a member here, and if you're not a member, I understand. Now, hold it up. Say, this is the Word of God to me. Now, now say with me, if I want more hope and I want increased faith, I get it right here. Amen? You get it right here. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. See, you, most of you are going to leave today with your faith increased because I didn't come to tell you what Jeff thinks. I came to tell you what the Bible says about your predicament. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So we're supposed to look at what is chronicled in the Bible about the wilderness wanderings of Israel. We're supposed to learn from it so that we don't make the same mistakes, so that we are not hindered in our journey like they were hindered, so that we more smoothly walk this walk of faith. So what do we learn from Israel and their wilderness wanderings? Well, first off, we learn the mistakes they made. The mistakes they made. What mistakes did they make? What made them take 40 years to get into the promised land, and after those 40 years, only two out of one million got over into the promised land. The rest of them were kept on the other side of the Jordan because of their disobedience. Hey, I don't want, I don't want to be that hindered in my walk of faith. Do you? No. So here's the deal. What did they do? What was the mistake they made? It was grumbling. It was mumbling. It was murmuring. And it was complaining. That was the mistake they made. Now, I understand that none of you here today ever complain or murmur. I'm just sharing this with you so you can get the CD and take it to somebody who does. Okay? Now, uh, let me put it a way that you might be able to understand. Israel literally buried themselves with the shovels of their own tongue. Did you know that death and life are in the power of what we say? And isn't it so easy to complain uh, so easy for your tongue to become a shovel that digs your own grave for you, and you can talk yourself into a hole and talk yourself into depression and talk yourself into disillusionment and talk yourself so low that you don't want to go to church anymore, don't want to pray anymore, don't want to seek God anymore. You're just down. You're complaining. Look what it says, Exodus 16, verse 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Their problem 
was complaining. They murmured, they mumbled, they complained. We wish we had this, we wish we had that. Why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? How come this? How come that? If only this, if only that. Let me share some insight with you. Complaining is something we do instead of listening to what God is seeking to teach us. Did you know that if you're listening, God is talking? How many of you believe that? Do you believe that? If you're listening, God is talking. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, if he's the same as he was yesterday in the first century when he was alive on earth, then what is he doing today? Because he's the same today. Well, do you notice that Jesus was always teaching his disciples? He taught them in the storm. He taught them in the wilderness. He taught them when they were hungry. He was always teaching if they were listening. And it's the same today. I want you to say with me, God wants to talk to me. Now, I know some of you are thinking, thinking, well, Jeff, you know, I, I can't hear God. Yes, you can. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Are you God's sheep? If you're one of God's sheep, raise your hand. All right, do you know what Jesus said? You hear his voice. I trust that right now as I'm sharing the word of God, you're hearing a voice within a voice. You're not just hearing Jeff Wickwire. You're hearing Jesus in my voice sharing his word to you, and you have ears to hear. When you got born again, God gave you a new heart, and he gave you new ears. And so every prayer time ought to be ended with listening to God. Listening to God. Complaining is something we do instead of listening to what God is seeking to teach us. Here's what I've learned through the years. I've learned that in every trying, difficult, testing, fiery, valley experience of life, God is wanting to teach Jeff Wickwire if Jeff Wickwire will listen. He's wanting to teach me. And I've noticed one word from God can pick me up on my feet. One word from God can stand me up again. One word from God can put me back into strength. One word from God can heal me. It says he sent his word and healed them. One word from God can stand you up. One word from God can heal you. One word from God can rebuke discouragement off of you. One word from God can get you full of vision again. One word from God can make the difference between night and day, depression and joy. One word from God. And God wants to speak to us. And I've seen that I can either yield to the flesh and complain, or I can say, Lord, help me to understand what you're trying to teach me, and I can listen to the Lord. And when I say, Lord, what are you saying to me? He invariably speaks to my heart. It may be one word, but he's got something to say to me. And that's God's will in the wildernesses of our life. In the wildernesses of our life, he's got something he wants to teach us. Listen to what the Bible says. Yes, he humbled you. This is God talking to the children of Israel about their wilderness. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you. That people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So there's God saying, in your wilderness, the wilderness I led you into, the wilderness that I led Jesus into, he said, I'm wanting to teach you. I've got something to tell you there. I want to put something in your heart, in your spirit, for the day that is coming, for your future. 
And the wilderness of loneliness was part of God's lesson plan for them. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you listening to God today? Are you listening to God or are you complaining? Lord, I wish this, I wish that. If only you would this and if only you would that. And how come you haven't this and how come you haven't that? And man, if I just had this or had that, I'd be a different person. Listen, here's God's word to you today. Everything you need for your current situation, you've got. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I want to just tell you something today from my heart. God loves you more than you will ever know. He loves you more than I can enunciate, more than I can say, more than I can find the words to communicate to you. God loves you so much that he allowed his only begotten son to hang on a cross and die a criminal's death so he could cover your sins and rise from the dead so that you could also be raised from the dead. And I read this week that the day is coming when all of us who have put our faith in him are going to hear the voice of the Son of God and we are going to be brought out of the grave into the glorious resurrection life of Christ. That's how much God loves you. He loves you. And he's not being mean, he's not being unfair, he's not being insensitive to your needs. He's not off flinging other stars into space, he's not off uh, uh, busy answering the prayers of other more important saints. No, he's totally focused on you. You are God's project right now. He's wanting to build some things into your faith and character that are going to serve you in the days to come. As he told Israel, I led you through all these wilderness experiences to do you good in the end. To do you good. Now, as I talk about loneliness, I'm not going to give you a a theologized solution to your loneliness by offering silly, cheap, little, shallow, charismatic, quip responses to you. Like, well, just praise the Lord. You ever want to slap somebody that just told you, well, just praise the Lord. Or how about, well, have stronger faith. And you want to say, hey, my faith is strong and it's stretched to the limit. Don't tell me to have more faith. Or how about this one, change your confession. Change your confession. How many of you have realized that sometimes deeper things are going on than just a simple little charismatic formula can help you with? Amen? I want to give you some things that I know are real and will help carry you through the wilderness of loneliness, or whatever the wilderness is you're in right now. It's dry. It's difficult. You don't know where to turn, where to go. You've got questions. You've got unanswered needs. You're being pressed to the limit. It seems like everybody around you is being blessed but you. It seems like God's not hearing you and you can't touch him, even though I know he's there. It's a wilderness. I want to give you some things that are real that will help you through. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to focus on loneliness itself because I could talk about loneliness where all of us are going to leave feeling lonelier than when we came in. I I want to encourage you with one simple statement. And here it is. In your loneliness, God is at work in you. Now, I want us to say that together because some of us need to preach ourselves up. Are you ready? Say with me, in my loneliness, God is at work in me. In my wilderness, 
God is at work in me. Now give the Lord a hand of praise because he is. I know he is. See, I can go through anything if I know that God's working. I can go through any valley, any oven, any difficulty, any trial, any testing. If I can see God's hand, I can go through anything. So in your loneliness, God is at work in you. Here's the verse. It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God at work in you. God is working in you. You may not feel it. You may not sense it. You may not know it. You may not be aware of it. But God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, Thinking of that little phrase, God's at work in you and your loneliness, I want to talk about David for a minute. Think with me for a moment of of David, the poet, the psalmist, the musician, the warrior, the king, the man after God's own heart. That's David. Now, what made David who he ultimately became, the mighty king of Israel, the giant killer, the warrior the inspiration for a nation, what made him what he ultimately became was not developed in the fanfare of the palace, but in the isolation and loneliness of a pasture. I'm going to talk about the lonely days of David. Gene Edwards in his classic book, A Tale of Three Kings, that everybody ought to read, speaks of the isolation of David. He says, David was the youngest son, and the youngest child generally had two distinctions, spoiled and uninformed. In David's day, very little would have been expected of him. He displays fewer characteristics of leadership than his brothers because he never had to lead because he was number eight of eight boys. So David was the runt of the litter. And there wasn't anybody that came up after him, so there was nobody to lead. So all he saw was seven brothers who were leaders, but he was never forced to lead or needed to lead because there was nobody to lead. Now, his seven older sons, or brothers, worked near and on the father's farm, but not David. David, the youngest, was sent on treks into the mountains to graze the family's small flock of sheep. He was a teenage shepherd. And every day, David would leave home. Picture your little boy or little girl going off to school, carrying that sack lunch. David carried something when he left every day to go to the pasture and shepherd the sheep. He carried a little guitar-like instrument. You could call it a harp. You could call it a guitar. For our sake today, we'll call it a guitar. Carrying a little guitar and a sling. And with those two things, he walked out the door. See you, Dad. See you, bros. I'm going to shepherd the sheep. And he would go. Now, when he went, he went way out into the wilderness It was lonely, it was alone, it was isolated, and spare time for a shepherd was abundant. The sheep would graze for days in the green meadow, and as days became weeks, David became very lonely. Do you know what it would be like to be a teenager full of energy? Man, there's nobody to hang around with, no place to do, no girlfriends, no nothing, no Xbox, no social media, no computer, no TV, no basketball court. And do you know that watching sheep eat grass all day, every day, day in and day out, is about as exciting as watching paint dry? 
So there he is out there. He's gifted. He's smart. He's full of energy. But he's isolated. He's alone. No one's around him. Nobody's there. He became lonely. Friendlessness, the feeling of it, rose up within him. I really do believe knowing people, shooting honestly about it, there were likely times that David literally wept from isolation. Is this what my life is all about as a teenager, 15, 16, 17 years old? I'm watching these sheep eat day in and day out. I'm sleeping under the stars at night. Nobody's around, nobody to talk to, nobody to share with. I am lonely. How has God brought this about in my life? Now, I look at David's life, and I see three things that God worked into him in those lonely years. And I want you to be inspired today. I want you to think. I want you to consider. And I want you to receive that the three things that he worked into David's life is what he wants to work into yours. Because maybe you're feeling isolated and lonely. Well, then listen up. The first thing that God worked into him, oh, and was he going to need it? was his worship ministry. His worship ministry. In his boredom, you know, David's watching the sheep, they're eating. Wow, exciting. What can I do? So he picks up his guitar, and he begins to play his harp or his guitar to pass the hours. And as the, the, the playing improved, he added singing. He began to sing. And his voice changed over the years, got stronger, got deeper. At night when all the sheep lay sleeping and he sat staring at the dying fire, he would strum upon his harp and break into quiet song. He sang the ancient hymns of his forefathers, and then he began to make up some of his own, and we call them psalms. And while he sang, he wept, and while he wept, he praised. As one commentator put it, the distant mountains lifted up his praise and tears, passing them on to the next mountains, and so on until they eventually reached the ears of God. From this time of lonely isolation came psalms like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Each and every day I know he's restoring my soul. Came a song out of isolation. And then at night, he would lay down and look up at the starry sky, that incredible constellation of stars, and he would lay there while the sheep slept, and you could hear maybe some hoot owls and some crickets chirping, and, and, and he, he looked up and he thought, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. You know what? Day unto day, they utter speech, and night after night, they are showing knowledge, they are teaching me, and he wrote it down, and it became a psalm. And you know what happened in his loneliness and isolation? David's worship ministry, what we know him for, the worshiper of Israel. That worship ministry was launched and birthed in the womb of isolation and loneliness. He could have gotten a chip on his shoulder and said, well, this is what God's going to do to me. I can't wait till I'm 18 so I can get out of this shepherding. Nope. He said, I'm going to learn to worship God. And God worked into his heart the spirit of a worshiper. Instead of getting angry, he just put on his praise. When was the last time you praised God when you were lonely? How many people would faint around you if you were to praise God in a tough time? See, God wants us to learn when you're going through the tough times, that's when tough people get tougher. 
That is when you look up and you do put on your praise and you praise God. No matter what people think, you praise God. Let the devil in hell know that no matter what happens to you, you're going to praise God. That he can't take your praise away from you. Would you believe me if I told you Satan's after your praise, your worship. He wants to take the joy of the Lord out of your life. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we receive his joy when we praise. Come on, church. Now, the second thing God wove into the fabric of David's faith during these lonely seasons, not just his worship ministry, but his warfare ministry. Oh, I love this, his warfare ministry. When playing and singing failed to comfort him or take up the time, he turned to a popular pastime of his day, and that was a sling and a stone. And that's what they did in his day. Instead of shooting rifles, they, they had slings. And these men were so accurate with slings, they could... They could They could knock a leaf off a tree from many, many yards away. They were so good at it, hair-like precision with a sling. So David began to just practice that sling. I can envision the young shepherd boys. He gathered a pile of stones and one by one placed them in a sling, twirled it overhead, and aimed for a leaf hanging off the tree. And at first he missed, but then he got closer, and then he got closer, and then he began to hit it every single time, just a little leaf on a tree. He could aim and hit it and shave it right off that tree. He said, man, I'm getting good at this. And when the rock pile was depleted, he'd walk to the blistered tree, regather the rocks, and fire away at another leafy enemy at yet a farther distance. And I'm going to guarantee you, David had many victories over many trees. But see, God never wastes time. He never wastes what's going on in your life. When you're not even aware of it, He is training you and preparing you for the next step, the next level, the next day, the next challenge. And we know this from David because one day he heard the panic bleeding of one of his sheep and he turned. And there it was, brown lightning on mighty furry legs charging at him with deadly intent, a ferocious bear. And leaning on what he had learned, he grabbed a smooth rock from the pouch. He placed it in the sling. He began to sling it around. He fired it with deadly accuracy, hit the bear right in the head. The bear went down. And listen, when that bear went down, David stepped back and said to himself, in the solitude of that lonely place, wow, I can bring down a giant when God's with me. I can bring down a giant. Because when I did that, someone else grabbed hold of my hand. And I'm learning in the shadows when nobody is looking, when I'm alone and isolated. I'm learning how to bring down what is stronger than me, more powerful than me, mightier than me. Not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm learning spiritual warfare. And you know the rest of the story. The day came when the young shepherd walked onto a battle scene and there stood a giant called Goliath who was mocking the armies of Israel and blaspheming his God and his blood rushed up into his face and he said, 
How dare you talk about my God that way? How dare you talk about my Savior that way? And he said to Saul, let me at him. I don't need your armor. All I need is a sling and a stone. And Saul, ever courageous, ever willing to let somebody else fight the battle, King Saul said, you go for it, kid. And David walked out there and said, I bring you down in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he took a rock and put it in that sling and slung it while the giant was mocking and ridiculing and making fun of him and pointing at him and saying, is this the best you've got to send me? And that was about all he got out. Thunk. And down went the giant. I can bring down giants when God is with me. And that's what he was learning in the shadows, in loneliness and isolation. Do you see how one thing led to another led to another in God's preparation of David? Because you know, and I know, that God, knowing everything and knowing the end from the beginning, saw the day when this young shepherd boy would face this giant and bring him down. So he he moved on him without him even knowing it to pick up that sling and pick up that stone and get good at it. And then he let him fight the bear and fight the lion. And some of you are fighting a bear in your life and a lion in your life. It's in the shadows. Nobody knows the temptation you're facing. Nobody knows the battle that you're experiencing in the theater of your mind but God sees it and God has put a sling in your hand and a stone in your hand it's called faith and the word of God and he wants you to bring that giant down when nobody's looking because a greater day is coming don't we need some giants church oh if there was ever a day I, I when I look out at you I see the answer for America. I don't see it in who the next president is. I don't see it in who the next Senate is. Lord, if you haven't given up on politicians by now, you need an awakening. The answer is not in a politician. It is in believers who have fought the devil in the shadows and have slain the lion and defeated the bear. And they are ready to stand up against the Goliaths in the limelight. His worship ministry was birthed. His warfare ministry was cultivated and honed and sharpened. The last thing, he became wild about God. I love that. He he became wild about God. I like people who are crazy, wild, slap-happy in love with Jesus. Have you ever noticed they make religious people real nervous? Because religious people are, oh, praise the Lord. We need to pray. Oh, thou heavenly Father. And here comes the wild about God. Oh, Lord, break loose on us in Jesus' name. It always makes the religious people retreat. Oh, you go to one of those churches where they're kind of wild about God. Yes, give me a church wild about God. Give me a church wild about Jesus. God didn't get to know David in the palace. He got to know him in the pasture. In the lonely solitude of the Judean wilderness as he worshiped God into the night and pondered the profundities of the word of God, David became that man after God's own heart. Christianity is not an intellectual assent to a set of truths. Christianity is a living, vital, pulsating, real relationship with a Savior. 
So in the lonely seasons of David's life, his worship ministry, his warfare ministry, and a deeper love for God were all honed and sharpened and perfected. So what some of you see as an end because you're lonely, God sees as a beginning. Think about Peter. Peter thought it was over after he denied Jesus. He walked off in solitude, went back to fishing, walked away from Jerusalem where the action was. But Jesus had a different view of Peter. His perspective was, it's in this lonely time, I'm preparing you for Pentecost. In the midnight of his life, when Peter was isolated and alone, Jesus was working some pride out, some arrogance out, some selfishness out. And when he was brought out of isolation, he was also being brought out of preparation. Listen, your destiny is greater than your dilemma. I like what the old preacher said. If you ain't got no dilemma, you ain't got no destiny. Now that's bad English, but it's good preaching. I'm going to tell you, if you ain't got no dilemma, then you ain't got no destiny. Translated, God allows us to go through the tough times so that he can do these things, put worship and warfare and deeper love for him into our spirits for the day of warfare and the day of victory. So your dilemma is there because you've got a destiny in God. When you're isolated, lonely, and discouraged, you need to recognize what's happening. God has set you apart to perfect the tools of worship, warfare, and relationship with God that you're going to need for your destination. So instead of pouting, pray. Instead of whining, worship. Instead of wringing your hands, read your Bible. Bad things aren't the only things that happen in the midnight hour. Good things happen. Paul and Silas got thrown in jail for something they didn't do. They sang in the midnight hour, and the original jailhouse rock happened. At midnight, when Saul called for David to play the harp to soothe his spirit, he didn't realize that long before he played for the king, he had played for the king of kings. Before the kingdom of Israel knew his name, the kingdom of God knew all about him. Does the kingdom of God know about you? Before the kingdom of Israel sang David's praises in the streets, David sang God's praises in the meadows. Years before David defeated Goliath, he was defeating trees and targets and leaves and lions and bears in lonely desolation. What do you think gave David the faith to defeat that giant? It was the time he spent in lonely isolation. He told Saul, God gave me a bear and God gave me a lion. He's going to give me this giant. 